Um, oh, I need to make sure it's recording. It's recording. Okay. How was your Christmas and New Year's and holiday and break? Great. I mean, uh, Christmas is really, really nice. I mean, it was quiet. We didn't have a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then New Year's Eve was quiet. It was just the four of us stayed here, my the kids and me and Jake. And then at eight at 7.30 we had, we met up with the kids across like down the street and we sat up out on the lawn and they banged pots of pans. They thought it was, <laughs> it was like 7.30. <laughs> it was a good, good, how was yours? Fun and New Year's, I don't go out anymore. Like watch the Twilight Zone marathon and like- you Can't beat watching the, uh, watching top Twilight Zone marathon. We love it. We get takeout, we drink champagne. Yeah, it is. Anyway, let's get this uh, party started. So um, I, again, printed out my notes and forgot to bring them. So they're sitting on my desk, my- uh, my desk at work. So I have them, but I have them up here. That's why I'm looking off to the right. Um, so I just want to say to our, our listeners to, if you like what you're hearing, cause we literally did nothing last time. We just <laughs> talked and like, i never did my, <laughs> I didn't do my sign off. We didn't do the rate review subscribe. So um, if you like what you're hearing, please rate review subscribe. And also check out our Instagram old school podcast is the Instagram handle. And um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's pretty fun enjoyable follow it mm-hmm. anyway i have i just did because we we took like a hiatus for the holidays i have a big window like i just did december 10th to january 10th but that's only because i found this crazy thing that i wanted to talk about and it was completely by accident that i found it so but it's a doozy so did you have anything you wanted to i saw the stuff that you put on there um i touched on some of that but then okay. i did um I'm going to just tell you this. There was one thing I saw I, that I started laughing. I was like, why did they even make this as a, a notable men- like mention? Why would you even say this? So apparently January 1st, 1982 was a big deal because 30 something stars, Ken Olin and Patricia Wedding uh, meet and they later marry. Why would they what? put that in there? Remember that TV show 30 something? It was so popular. Oh my God. I, I know my parents watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never watched it, but. But they were the two characters. They met on they weren't married in the show. They weren't married in the show, but they apparently met and then they got married. And they that was like a blurb on this website. I don't I'm even like, know who those fucking people are. Also, oh, I knew it. as soon as I as soon as I saw I saw the names, I recognized the characters, which is oh, you was, did. Like how old? Like I don't remember. How old it. Was I when that show was on that I remembered who they were? You, I think we were like teens or tweens. Like I don't. It was the nineties. It was I like the like early nineties. We I feel like we we're younger than that. I think it was I the early nineties. But I, that's not even the date they married. That's the date they met. Who fucking cares? I exactly. So it was the, it's a meet that was, yeah, they met. And I was like, what? We should, I, I should remember the date. I, I should have done a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, geez. Well, anyway, I thought that was funny. But anyway, yeah, that is weird. Yeah, really weird. Okay. You, so you can, can I do my biggie? Yeah. Okay. Um, December 10th, 1907. Uh, was something called the Brown Dog Riots. And I, I read that and I was like, what the fuck? I, I actually saw this on Reddit. It was posted on Reddit. And I and I thought, oh, is this going to be something silly like the um, the Straw Hat Riots? Remember the Straw Hat Riots? <laughs> For episode whatever, two or three. But it's not funny at all. It's kind of fucked up. But so it's basically riots that... The, it wouldn't be our podcast unless you did a fucked up... I know. Life. I'm sorry, but it is... I do think it's a fat, like kind of a fascinating moment in history. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to say a trigger warning, but I because it is about animals. I love animals, and I'm sure we have listeners who love animals, but I will say that I am not... 
I skipped over these parts of my research and I am not going to read anything graphic because I, I just, it's very, it's, it's probably, actually very, it probably could have been really graphic and gross. It's ve- yeah, exactly. It's very, it's very upsetting. So I'm not going to. So basically, um, December 10th, 1907 was the first day of riots in response to protests made by the anti-vivisection society with regard to an animal that's referred to as the little brown dog or sometimes just the brown dog. So, okay. So just to back up a bit, um, the Victorian era in England, there was an anti-vivisection movement. And basically for people listening who don't know what vivisection is, it's basically the dissection of an animal that's still alive. That could mean with or without, unfortunately, anesthesia or pain meds. And it's controversial. It's controversial today. And it's it was a fairly uh, new method of scientific research in the Victorian era. So it was controversial then. Mainstream intellectual writers like Mark Twain were members of anti-vivisection societies. It is not, it was not a fringe movement. This is, you know, it was a, it was the queen herself, Queen Queen Victoria was anti-vivisection. So this was sort of like the, I guess you could say it's, it was the burgeoning, you know, animal rights movement, but it was also just sort of like a hot, one of those hot topics that takes over the news in, in an era, you know, over the course of like a decade. So in 1875, Irish feminist Frances Power Cobb founded the National Anti-Vivisection Society. And in 1898, she founded the British Union for the Abolition of Vivisection. And in 1875, the British government set up the Royal Commission on the Practice of Subjecting Live Animals to Experiments for Scientific Purposes. A year later, that commission, basically their, their findings led to the passage of the Cruelty to Animals Act. It didn't really do much though. It basically said, you know, you, you can't perform a vivisection on, an, on the same animal more than once. So this is so ridiculous. This whole, like, yeah. what is this, who is this helping in any of these things? Ugh, it's, I mean, I should say that they're the people, the, the physio, what are they called? physiologists who perform these, the one, especially the two in question, actually did discover aspects of human chemistry, you know, bo- bodily functions and disease. I don't know. I don't know if you know, if it was worth it, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But, uh, cause it's pretty bad. I'm not going to read, like I said, I'm not going to read the details, but it was, it was, it's pretty bad. So the law required and, you know, anesthesia, pain meds, and you can't do it more than once on the same animal. The animal must be humanely terminated. All of this is out the window because, because the act itself stipulates that if some aspect of the, of the experiment requires that you go back and and operate on this dog or cat or whatever, it's okay. So all these, you know, there's like everything, everything in the law had an asterisk. So it really didn't do much. And just to put things in perspective, it was on the rise. This is like kind of like the, the, you know, um, medical research and medical um, advancement was happening at a fast pace in the late Victorian era. Here's some interesting numbers. I read that in 18, 1878, there were 300 experiments on animals in England. And by 1903, there were 19,000 that year alone. So that it's a lot. Physiologists were heavily criticized for their experiments in this era. The famous French physiologist Claude Bernard once said, quote, the science of life is a superb and dazzlingly lighted hall, which may be re- reached only by passing through a long and ghastly kitchen. 
And there was a lot there, you know, like I said, there were med human medical advancements in this era. So, so now we're going to get up to the incident, the riots. In 1903, that's four years before um, the riot, in 1903, two Swedish feminists and, and anti-vivisection act activists, Lizzie Lind off Hagabi and L Lisa Schartau, who were enrolled in the London School of Medicine for Women, which was a vivisection-free college. They signed it because they were at this women's college. They had a relationship with local other medical schools and they were able to attend vivisections. And they did this in order to learn more about the field they were criticizing. And they kept a diary. They were present at the vivisection of a small brown terrier. Okay, so attended several vivisections. They kept this diary with very troubling details. And they brought it to a barrister named Stephen Coleridge. So barrister is basically a lawyer, right? In England. Mm -hmm. He was especially drawn to the story of the little brown dog. The dog in question had been the subject of vivisection three times, which is a violation of the 1876 anti-cruelty law. The two physiologists who'd performed the vivisection, their names were William Bayliss and Ernest Starling, claimed that the dog, that the dog was anesthetized and given pain meds. The women, the two Swedish women, claimed that the meds were inadequate. They also claimed that there was laughter and joking in the uh, theater where they were performing the vivisection, so among the med students. Th this enraged Coleridge, the lawyer, and he gave a speech about this little brown dog at the annual meeting of the National Anti-Vivisection Society, basically calling this, this experimentation torture. There was a reporter there, and excerpts of the speech were published in the Daily News. The Daily News was actually founded by, it was considered a radical paper, and it was founded by Charles Dickens. After, it was pub after excerpts of the speech were published, the shit hit the fan. And had the House of Commons started in uh, questioning it and looking into whether it was a legal vivisection and all that. Bayliss, who was one of the physiologists who had been accused in the speech, demanded an apology from Coleridge. And when that didn't happen, he sued him for libel. There was a trial. It lasted four days with experts testifying on, on either side. Um, some saying there wasn't enough anesthesia, some saying there was. There was question as to whether the animal was put down humanely or not. The testimony from the two Swedish women was, was uh, graphic, and the judge actually dismissed it as, quote, hysterical, which, you know, is oh. the, old, the old term that men like to use to describe women. And uh, he instructed the jury to ignore it, to ignore this diary. Basically, Coleridge was found guilty of libel and he was fined. So nothing. Yeah. So the the World League Against Vivisection erected a bronze memorial statue for the, the little brown dog in 1906. That's about a year and a half later. They chose the Battersea section of London, which is part of South London. And so I have this cool quote from this um this feminist author, Coral Lansbury, said about Battersea. She said it was a hotbed of radicalism proletarian, socialist, full of belching smoke and slums, and closely associate, associated with the anti-vivisection movement. And I put in parentheses on my research, I said, gee, it's almost like the poor and exploited lean toward empathy and leftist views. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the same area, there was, um, there was an anti-vivisection hospital. It was called the National Anti-Vivisection and Battersea General Hospital that was founded in 1896. Specifically, it, it said there, we do not allow our doctors to practice vivisection and, it, and it's not, doesn't happen here. It was right down the road from the statue. So the found itself sounds so kind of very charming. 
it was a statue that sat atop a granite memorial, like a granite stone, and at seven feet, six inches. Around the, the statue was a fountain for horses and dogs to drink water, which I think is so cute. So it was controversial from the get-go. It had a controversial plaque because the plaque basically said, well, I'll read it. In memory of the brown terrier dog done to death in the laboratories of University College in February 1903, after having endured vivisection extending over more than two months and having been handed over from one vivisector to another till death came to his release. Also in memory of the 232 dogs vivisected at the same place during the year 1902. Men and women of England, how long shall these things be? The medical student community basically was irate about this memorial and the plaque. And it was targeted by vandals repeatedly. And at one point, a group of vandals, these med students, were arrested and fined. And because of that, because they didn't just get let go or scolded or whatever, the med students all over the city began rioting, essentially. They even targeted meetings of suffragists. So a lot of the leaders of the anti-vivisection movement were feminists. So that's why they're, they you know, were busting into meetings. They threw um, like smoke bombs and stuff like that and turned over tables and people were actually injured. Uh, they set off fireworks. Bizarre. The rioting basically reached a height on December 10th, 1907, as an organized group of med students attempted to pull down the statue. They were stopped by locals. So they decided, oh, let's head down to the anti-vivisection hospital and, you know, vandalize that, throw rocks in it, whatever, do whatever, whatever else they planned. They were stopped by locals there as well. So various groups that same day met in Trafalgar Square in London and uh, gave speeches. They were roughed up by police. Uh, I mean, it was basically just your standard kind of riot slash protest. I think the most interesting thing about, I just think this is so weird that this t evolved into riots. I just don't, first of all, you're med students. Like, I mean, I know you're humans. God, get it together. Like, be mature. I just think that the Venn diagram about this situation is fascinating. So basically, it was like the people who aligned with the anti-vivisectionists were feminists, labor, socialists, and obviously animal rights activists. Basically, they had a common enemy, which was these wealthy elitists. I mean, med students in the Victorian England, or oh, this is Edwardian yeah, right. England at this point. I mean, they were all like rich white douchebags. They're like all entitled people that Exactly. With money. I mean, you know, for the most part. Okay, so then the question also is why why is it why was this, there this feminist like overlap? The obvious thing is that w women tend to be involved in social causes more than men as far as like volunteering in, in nonprofit organizations. There are more women who are vegetarian and vegan and things like that. So there's, a, there's an overlap there. But I, that, there's a really interesting quote from that same, that same lady, Coral Lansbury, the feminist writer. The fight for women's suffrage became closely linked with the anti-vivisection movement and the iconography of vivisection struck a chord with women. Three of the four vice presidents of the National Anti-Vivisection Hospital were women. Lansbury argues that the brown dog affair became a matter of opposing symbols. The vivisected dog on the operating board blurred into images of suffragettes force-fed in Brixton prison or women strapped down for childbirth or forced to have their ovaries and uteruses removed as a cure for, quote, mania. The vivisected animal stood for the vivisected woman. I think that's really interesting. I don't think I would have yeah. like necessarily guessed that that there would be that link between those two movements. I had no idea there was this kind of movement that happened. I, I knew I know about the. Did you ever see the movie? Um, it's called um, Amazing Grace. No, I don't think so. 
It's a story about the abolitionist movement in Great Britain, and its leader was a guy named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. But the cool thing about, so that's a good movie. It's about his fight to end slavery in the British Empire. But he was also the founder of the world's first anti-animal cruelty organization. He founded the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. We still have it. And there's, the American one was founded a few years later. I knew about that, but I didn't know about this specific issue of the vivisection thing. Unfortunately, the Brown Dog Memorial remained problematic. It was expensive to guard. You know, there was people that continued to try to vandalize it, so it became expensive to guard. So they, they decided to remove it. The local government decided to remove it, despite protests, of course, from anti-vivisection activists. And then the original statue was apparently destroyed after being put in storage. A new statue was commissioned and installed in 1985 by the National Anti-Vivisection Society and the British Union for the Abolition of Vivisection. And it was also put in Battersea Park. That was taken down. I, I don't, I, it was unclear whether or not it was taken down based on controversy or if it was taken down because you know, they were remodeling the area or something. It was actually moved and then put back in place in 1994. And it's there still. However, it's, it's, still, it's still controversial for a, kind of an interesting reason. It does not, it's not an exact replica. And a lot of people who support the anti-vivisection movement and this, this historical, you know, really fascinating historical event would rather it look like the old statue, which was sort of like a regal looking dog sitting, you know, looking up and sitting. And the current statue is very cute and charming, but it's sort of a meek kind of cowering mm. pet kind of, you know what I mean? So, so people want to replace it. And I don't even know. When I wonder why happen. they went that way with it though. Like, I don't why? know. Yeah. Why, why not just mimic the old one? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it's adorable. It's still, a, it's a, it looks more like a traditional, the old one looked more like a traditional statue. Like, you know, you have, it's, it's almost like a military standing uh -huh. sort of at attention. And this one's sort of cute and charming, but it's maybe to tug at the heartstrings. And yeah. Yeah. Like how moves. could you do this to an animal like that? So anyway, so I just thought that was a really cool, no, interesting thing I've never heard of. No, me neither. I mean, I, and I never would have thought of that parallel between the animals and the women either. Yeah. Um, but Cause we didn't, we don't, we didn't live that. I mean, I can't even imagine like you, women back then probably knew had friends who were like institutional. I mean, yeah. Or like, you know, it's weird. Oh, yeah. Done had, you know, horrible things done to them or taken from them or. And the husband has to like approve your medical like procedures and shit. Bizarre. I actually, I know I say this, like every time we talk about something like historical, I always say like it would make a good movie or a series. I actually think this would be kind of interesting. I, I mean, I feel like nobody knows, or a lot of people don't know about it, and it would be cool. But mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, that was Start my big, my big screenplay, Emily. I wish, I wish I had that patience. Okay, so that was December tenth, nineteen oh seven. December fourteenth, I just have down nineteen in nineteen ninety three. Uh, the movie Philadelphia premieres. Very good. Very sad movie. Yeah, that movie. That, that movie. There's like a few movies that I can only, I could only tolerate watching once because yes. it's so like. I was about to like, say the exact same thing. Like this Philadelphia, that one like destroyed me. Like Schindler's List, I barely could get through that one time without like weeping. Yeah. 
Like there's certain movies that I can't. Amistad is like that. Yeah. Same kind of thing where it's just like too, it's just too much. Like you can't, it's just Intense. so upsetting. Yeah. But and yeah, the courtroom scenes where it's so sad. You just feel so bad for him. Cause he's oh my gosh. Terrible. It's just, I know it's so, it's so upsetting. And everyone's so good in that movie. Amazing film. Um, December, the next day, December 15th, 1939, Gone with the Wind premieres, which I think we've talked about before. Like we have to be able to acknowledge how problematic Gone with the Wind is and also point out that it, from an artistry standpoint, it's a beautiful film. It was nominated for 13 Oscars and won 10, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actress for Vivian Lee, and Best Supporting Actress for Hattie McDaniel, who was the first African-American to win an Oscar. So that's important. She was yeah, and amazing. I, I never, she stole every scene she was in. I know. And then, like, I read that book. I was pretty young when I read that book. And then I saw that movie when I was really young and rewatched it a gazillion times. But again, like growing up, not knowing yeah. that it was problematic, you know, cause you're seeing it through the eyes of like a kid. Yeah. And then I was just obsessed with how beautiful it was. And, yeah. you know, and that's the whole problem with the movie that it like romanticizes like slavery. And that's right. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. I mean, so I thought it was sort of like, you know, it it's portraying something terrible in history, but we need to see it, but it's not, it's not accurately portraying it's not accurate it. at all. Yeah. But yeah. But like a when contented slave or whatever that trope yeah, is, to- it's like, it's, I don't know even the movies more. Um, I remember like reading about how like they, um, there's no KKK in the movie. It was in the book or, you know, when Scarlet's attacked, that was by in the book, it was by a black man, but in the, movie, Oh, I didn't know that. In the movie, they made it the the, the white guy, and then the and the and the black guy is the hero, right? And that's so scene. they did in the movie. They tried to like soften it, but again, you're still not, which is commendable to a degree, yeah, and probably but, pretty good for 1939. <laughs> yeah, right. But at the same time, you're still not you're you're still not capturing no. like, what, the truth. It's it's still, still sugar coated. Still totally, totally. Yeah. But again, it's like. I don't know. I still, you know, it's a, it's a spectacle, you know, it's, it's, it was it's a spectacle, a technicolor spectacle. I did. I did look it up when the book was, I guess the book was published in the thirties. Yeah. Or just a few years earlier. But it it was, huge... There was like outrage from the book, like African American oh. like upset with just, well, that's book. good. Um, Like, so from the start and then it became, then it, the rights were brought for the movie and then it just, right. still, you know, and then even when they were making the movie, they're like, well, maybe we should have, you know, African American, advisors on board and they didn't <laughs> they talked about it but right. they didn't do it no so um yeah but i didn't know like from the moment the book came out that like people were yeah that it was controversial i didn't know that yeah me neither so i can't believe this shit regarding on with the wind when adjusted for inflation it's still the highest grossing film in history wow that's crazy i guess movies were a bigger deal back then right like everybody went to the theater right i feel like even in the eighties, we rented movies and, you know, like if you wanted that's to true. see it, you had to go to the theater. But I feel like, I feel like there's more ways to make money now. That's true. Oh yeah. Do they mean when they say highest grossing, do they mean the box office? I guess they must be, they, they must be in box office. Yeah. Not like, like all the other. Yeah. But still, that's still, that's still amazing. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised by it actually. Well, I mean, even to think of like movie premieres back then, they were like, it's glamorous yeah, like, and yeah, yeah. They weren't movie premieres now. And then they guess they, and I think this one then, I mean, wasn't there like a crazy buildup just to, for it being yes. made? So mm-hmm. it was probably just people wanting to say, oh, did they pull it off? Kind of right. Because right. it could have been such a disaster. 
Right. Absolutely. When are they going to remake that one? Just oh gosh, <laughs> just kidding. So also December fifteenth, the December fifteenth is uh, nineteen seventy three. American Psychiatric Association declares homosexuality is not a mental illness. Well, there's a relief. Nineteen seventy three. Really? That's like five minutes ago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm oh. always grossed out sometimes when we do this podcast and like the dates are said and you're like, yeah, it's cringe. God, it's so backward. You're like 1873. No, 1973. <laughs> it's like, so slow. Oh, depressing. Beautiful. December 17th, 1989 is the premiere of the Simpsons. So you're I know was, big, you're a big Simpsons. I'm a huge Simpsons fan. Yeah, I never got into the Simpsons. I just, I just love how, it's satire that's the satire is so sharp and so sometimes so like highbrow. Well, I don't know about the, I haven't really watched, I know it's gone downhill, but I guess I'm talking about like the golden age of the Simpsons, but it's the longest running American animated series, the longest running American sitcom and the longest running American scripted primetime television series. Crazy. Both in terms of seasons and number of episodes. And do did you like it when they were, um, on the Tracy Ullman show. I did. I did. <laughs> that I did oh, like, like a weird that. crude, like, yeah. Yes. And, and I then, love Tracy Ullman. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think they did improve though. Cause it, it did. It wasn't as like smart on Tracy Ullman. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Became like, you know, it evolved. Yeah. So anyway, that was 89, uh, December 18th, 1917, the 18th amendment passes. This is the prohibition. Of, this is prohibition, the prohibition of alcohol, some, sometimes called the noble experiment. This also represents an alliance of interesting groups, basically like the very religious, like conservative religious, and then f- like feminists, actually. A right. lot of the, Women, yeah, I mean, they were sick of getting beat up when their husbands came home drunk or watching their kids get beat up when their husbands came home drunk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, these like teetotaling biddies or whatever. But I mean, I, you know, I think as with most things, they, they were well-intentioned. It was... Mm-hmm. Oh, and then just to loop back to the Simpsons, it this reminds me of my one of my favorite Simpsons quotes. Homer says, "Alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems." Doing a toast to alcohol. <laughs> December twenty sixth is in our fair, not that distant memory, the two thousand four Indian Ocean tsunami, the Boxing Day tsunami. Sometimes it's oh, called God, that. Surreal, right? I had nightmares about tsunamis for like weeks after that whole thing happened. I didn't even experience it, but like just the coverage of it and just the stories. And then you've seen that movie, The Impossible. Yes. Very good. That movie. And it's a true story, but that I know. Yeah. Separated. But I mean, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine the sheer size of damage yeah. and the amount of people that died. The number of countries involved. I mean, it was the, I don't think, I mean, we've never had anything like a tsunami like i mean it's i've never seen anything like it like the footage was just insane and and you kind of in your head you kind of picture i was picturing like yeah you know, i'd never seen one so in my head it was like is it like a tidal wave like a wall of water and then the footage came out and it was like this kind of not even that fast moving i mean but extremely powerful everything. yeah yeah it, but it wasn't this like you know gigantic wave it was like this creepy surge of just like it so much water. There's like those tsunamis that can start with like the ocean pulling back. Right. And then I think that's how it happened in some yes. parts. And like people were like kids were like running to the beach to like collect the shells and everything yeah. and see what was going on. And then they get hit by this right coming in. But I don't know. I just it's just I, I couldn't imagine witnessing that or 
experiencing that or losing someone like that. I mean, it's just crazy. It's it's a 230,000 estimated dead. And there's, that's probably low, honestly. I mean, remember all the video footage of like people on the top of hotels, like watching like the whole resort be like trying to pull other people up and stuff. Yeah. There's a documentary that's literally all it is, is, is the, is footage of from people's like vacation cameras, essentially with their stories. So like they take the footage and the stories. And one of the most interesting ones was what basically what you just said, it was a German family in Thailand and they were on the beach and the dad is filming. He's like, look at the water. I mean, what's going on with the water? It's, it's receding. And then it's so interesting because very smartly, he says, he notices that the locals are running away from the beach and he go and he it's translated, but he goes, the ties are leaving the beach. The local people are leaving. He's like, let's get out of here. And he says to his wife's trying to pack up the bag and he's like, just leave it, just leave it. God. Yeah. Thank. I mean, that's very observant. I don't know. A lot of people would have done that, but I mean, they survived. Thank God. But I remember being on, it must have been the summer after this whole thing happened and being at the shore and um, being on the beach. And maybe it wasn't the first summer after, but that just the the thought of something like that happening is so horrifying. Oh, it was, it must've been close. My parents had a shore house and they were like three blocks from the beach. And I would always thought like that whole, that whole thing would have been that whole seaside town would have been gone. Yeah. Yeah. No, no chance of surviving that. But I remember sitting on the beach and it was like, you know, my, I don't know if my sister and brother there, but my, my parents and other people. And all of a sudden it got so quiet on the beach and there were no birds and everything just got still creepy. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, is anyone else noticing this? And I was like, I like got up to like, I was like, I feel like something bad's going to happen. Like, and my mom, like, they're like laughing at me. And I was like, no, I'm serious. Like this creepy. If this, if the water starts pulling back, yeah, we're out of here. Attack. Yeah. And yeah. nothing happened, but I still was like traumatized from it. It is weird though. I mean, what did cause that then? I don't like, know. I don't, it was you know? so weird. Like, it, and, then, and then it was, I don't know. Um, yeah. So speaking of the shore, just to segue right out of tragedy, I love your ice cream story. <laughs> I love it so much. I stole it. And I tell people that story. I was like, my friend, it is a classic. it is a classic. <laughs> so I will think, you please tell it for our listeners. Okay. So I grew up in Jersey. So we go to the Jersey shore every summer. And if you're familiar with the Jersey shore, maybe I know a couple of our listeners are from Jersey. Um, there's always, (laughs) so there's always an ice cream. There's always ice cream on the beach available. So you either have the poor slobs who have to like pull their cart down the beach and you see them like, and they ring their bell or they scream ice cream or whatever. But then there's the certain beaches where you just hear the bell and you don't know it, you know, it's for the ice cream man, but you don't see him because he comes up from the dunes, rings the bell. And then you get up from your spot and you go down to the street and you get your ice cream. So he parks so in like a spot. He parks, like pulls up to the beach, parks with his truck. He comes up, rings the bell. So you know that ice cream's there and you go up down to his cart and you get your ice cream. Right. So as a kid, like really little, like my mom probably did it from toddler, us recognizing what a bell was. My mother told me and my siblings and whoever, whatever child that was near us, whenever that bell would go, she'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, that's a shame. There's another missing kid. Make sure you stay with your brother and sister because whenever you hear the bell, it means a kid went missing. So we literally thought that. Did she pull the Catholic thing? She was like, say a little prayer. 
Yes, everyone. Oh my gosh, you got to listen, listen to your mother. Stay with your brother and sister. Oh, that poor child is missing. <laughs> she did this, so we never asked her for ice cream, and it was yeah. genius. So we never once we weren't the kids that would hear the bell and like beg her forty five times during the beach trip. Right. We literally were like, oh, that's a shame. Oh, that's so sad. We never thought. Oh my god, there's like ten missing kids a day at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so cut to high school. Maybe I'm on the beach with my friends. Uh, Might have been after high school. And the bell goes off and everyone's like looking through their bags to get money. And they're like, Lauren, you're going to get some ice cream. And I'm like, where are you getting ice cream? And they're like, <laughs> the ice cream guy. I'm like, I don't see him. He's not pulling his cart. And they're like, no, the bell. And that's when I fucking realized. And then I tell my friends and then they died because I went my whole entire youth thinking that the bell was a missing child alert, not an ice cream. This is yet another example of your genius mother. Because I just realized it wasn't just about not having to deal with getting you guys ice cream. Oh, it made us terrified to leave her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a very, it's very smart. It, had like a, it was like a double, very she, clever. She terrified us. She scared Devious, us straight. But clever. Never, yeah, she, she scared us straight to never stray. And then she didn't have to deal with, you know, handing out money and giving her kids ice cream, 45. And then getting it all over their faces and having to walk them down there to get it. I tell that story, but I don't say the ice cream part until the end because no one in California knows what the hell that is. So I tell this, I tell the story, wow. that, you know, like, and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's just trying to not get a ice cream. So funny. I love that yeah, story. I, uh, it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, yeah, she's an evil genius. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> so September 31st. That's what I just did for this year. Betty White died. I know. She, she didn't make so it to her 100th. So close to 100. Yeah. That I love woman. her so much. I know like, she's national treasure. I feel like we've been getting hit with some, like a lot of dead celebrities lately. Oh my God. It's bizarre. It's like a parade. I mean. I said that to my parents, like on the family text. I'm like, like, seriously, how many, every five seconds someone else is dead. And my dad's like, it always happens this time of year. And I was well, like, oh. Does it though? I don't know. This famous though? These are like. Yeah. I mean, uh, also some of them were untimely. I mean, Bob Saget, what the hell was that? I know. And then I'm still upset about Norm MacDonald dying. And then Norm MacDonald, yeah. With Bob Saget too. But you know, it's just, you know, Betty White. I mean, and that woman, I mean, she sounds like she was a freaking saint. Oh, I know. Yeah. She's And everyone loved her and she was still hilarious. And Golden Girls is like. Definitely my all time, one of my all-time favorite shows. Yeah, and she's it. so accomplished. Had a bunch of Emmys. and I like her because she, she married later in life and she didn't have kids. Yeah, and I think he had kids. I think he, he had, had kids, kids from, from his from a, four, previous marriage, yeah. Yeah, she married the – he was a game show host, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Alan Ladd? Ladd? Not Ladd. Did I just make that up? I think it was Alan something. But yeah. She was a big animal rights person, wasn't she? She, she was, was big... more like companion animal and like old school, like zoo kind of stuff, which I'm I'm not into. But yeah, she loved animals. Lung? Alan Ludden. I knew it was an L and I knew there were D's in there. Yeah. Wasn't there, was there just another death? Am I forgetting? Sydney. Um, oh, Sydney Poitier. Yeah. Yeah. Sydney yeah, Poitier died. And then, um, Oh, Ronnie Spector just died. Oh yes, Ronnie Spector, and I and I posted about a reel of her today on the Instagram account. What was I going to say about Sydney? Oh, have you ever seen Patch of Blue? I know the name of that movie. 
Which one that was that about? It's my favorite Sydney Poitier movie. It's about a girl who's blind and abused and exploited by her, her mother. She's sent to a park every day on her own, and she befriends uh, Sydney Poitier's character, and he helps, tries to help her. He does help her. And it's just very sweet and it's very sad. I've never seen that. Who's the woman in it? Who, who else is in the it? Blind, the blind young lady is, the actress is Elizabeth Hartman. I feel like you'd recognize her if you saw her, but she's not like super famous. But and then the, the kind of the villain is her mother is Shelley Winters. Oh, okay. It's very sweet. It's very good. It's very powerful. I recommend it. Yeah, he was amazing. And Ronnie Spector was amazing. Yeah, I know. I mean, she survived that piece of shit husband, man. I know. If how can you survive uh, Phil Speck? That's what I said to my brother. I was like, she's she's lucky she survived him. And now she was like imprisoned by him. I know. Horrible. Fuck that guy. Rest in pit. Like seriously, rest in piss. I hate that guy. He is a monster. Yeah, that man was a monster and a poor poor woman. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's you know still early in 2022. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, unfortunate deaths. Sucks. It's weird. A lot of like old Hollywood, I feel like. A lot old. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So do you want to do the rec room? I actually wrote my shit down because I was like sick of racking my brain at the end of the episode and forgetting everything that we watched. Um, the rec room. Yeah. So what did we watch? Don't the, did you watch Don't Look Up? No. With, uh, on Netflix? No, I didn't did watch it. Leonardo did you like Africa? it? I mean, it was entertaining. It it's was frustrating, right? Yeah. I mean, but it's kind of probably really accurate as to what would happen. Yeah. Like people being like putting their head in the sand about this whole thing. Although um, sometimes they they'll take something and like, the, I feel like the 24 hour news cycle, like the mainstream media will take something and like make it just take over the news. Like it's all you see. It's like, it, you know, even if it's, even if it's not a big, as big a deal as it, they make it a big, well, that, that is true. But then it's more the um political part about like trying to make money, like profit off of. Yes. Impending disaster, which I could see happening. How do you exploit the situation or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was, I had a few chuckles in it. It wasn't the best movie ever, but it was entertaining, I guess. I never saw Leonardo DiCaprio look like a nerd before in a movie and he did that. Eh, it's funny. Um, I just bought a new book. I'm only on like page. Do you remember the author? This is going to piss me off. Well, you can update us next week. Yeah, but I'm like, uh, like next time three quarters the way through it. And then I probably didn't keep reading it because I can't fucking find it. I started watching a show. We started watching a show on Hulu. Did you finish the other one? The the space invasion one? Yeah. So that was good. So that season's that we finished that season. It was just the one season. The invasion? The invasion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was good. So um, yeah, like I said, it's like a slow burn. You're learning about all these different characters and how they're in their scenarios about this alien invasion. And it was good. Like it, the season ended. It was good. I'm, I'm ready to see season two if it comes back. And it was good. I think it's worth watching. Okay. I'll check it out. But we started watching and we just finished the second season. It's on Hulu. It's called This Way Up. It has Shan that's Morgan, the, one, the, the Irish That's actor. the one I recommended. Remember, like, I think our like second episode, I recommended one? it. Yeah. It's so weird because I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember who else said it because one of my, uh, two of my friends had said to watch it. And then when I started watching it, I was like, I feel like someone else told me to watch it. It was yeah. And I had I had said in the thing, uh, it's about these two two sisters or whatever, and they're comedians. Daniel's like, you just made it sound like that's their profession in the series. I was like, oh shit, 
like they're just co- they're comedians in their own right or whatever and then they were yeah, in this I, yeah and that's hilarious and i was that, i think it's I so thought, funny it was and she's so, so pretty and funny and i just love her i thought and just the, the the way the two sisters talk with each other like i think it was so yeah and i think sharon horgan is so good with that because she was so great yeah. with catastrophe. And she's I, great I could, I could watch her like just the way she laughs, like when she's yeah. doing a scene or something and she's laughing about like, it's yeah. so real. Like it's I just, infectious. I just yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, that's a great that, show. That whole season when she's trying the the whole episode, it was at the end. Can asking her sister to look at her asshole. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's laughing so hard. And then also with the, the doll that looks like her fiance. <laughs> yes, that scene was so yeah. funny. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great show. Very yeah. Funny. So I did, we, we just finished that. Uh, I think we finished that last night or two nights ago. Have you seen the series sex education? There's now three seasons of it. What's it on? is what's, what's that on? so good. Oh God. I never know when it's on. I'll Google it. It is with, um, Jillian Anderson. It's on, it's Netflix. Oh, so it is great. It is basically, it's like they took, the creators took like an 80s teenage sex romp comedy, but then they they made it smart and morphed it in with like, it's, I can't explain it. It's very funny, but it's also very, very sweet. And it's it's inclusive without being like box checky. Like sometimes you watch something and you're like, did a group of rich white men write that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's, this is very, um, it's just so good. I can't. All I, right. Well, we need two, two, the first two episodes that. to decide. Cause I think the first one I was kind of like, meh. And then by the second one, I was hooked. Okay. It's, I'm going to write it's it down. raunchy, like lots of TNA big time, but um, it's funny and smart. And the lead kid and Jillian Anderson live in my dream home. Other series we we caught up on called The Midwife, which has been running for like a decade. Oh, I do love that show. And I don't know why I don't stick with that. Like I'll watch a few episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll watch a few episodes of it. And then I was like, oh, I fucking love this show and every character and every story. And then when's it gonna get bad or tired? It seems to not slow down. I mean, I we watched this last season. It's awesome. You know, I just love it. I First of all, I probably cry once an episode. It's either because it's sad or just like heartwarming or sweet. It's just mm-hmm. so, so good. No, that is a great show. I should yeah. I should revisit that one. I think because I grew up with nuns, I, I like especially like it. Like they're just, it's just such a sweet, I just love it. And then we started this other series called We Are Lady Parts. And it's, have you heard about this? It's an, it's about an all girl Muslim punk band. They're all Muslim girls, young ladies, I should say, because they're not like teens, even though you kind of have that vibe. They're like young adults. I wasn't so sure in the first episode, but by the second episode, I was I was pretty hooked. It's very clever. And I mean, it's deliberately challenging, like your assumptions or your what you think you know about, you know, basically a practicing Muslim 20 something in mm-hmm. a in this is London. They're in London. It's so good. It's so funny. And couple of them are really foul mouthed and like, I just love it. So yeah, no, that one's great. And then movies, we, I can't, I forgot to recommend this last time. There's a British movie called pride from a few years ago, like 2014. It is so good. It's about, it's the true story about a group of LGBT activists in the 1980s who joined up in support 
with uh, the coal miners striking in England and they've formed an alliance and it's about how like the coal miners were like, uh, what? Like, you know, get out of here. Like we don't have the same, you know, and the leader of the LGBT activists was basically like, look, we have a, we have a common enemy. Thatcher is our enemy. And like, we support you. We support your right to earn a living and to fair pay and, and, uh, you know, safe work, uh, work environment. And we're going to use our resources to help you. And then it winds up being this symbiotic, you know, they wind up helping each other and it's very sweet. It's very, very charming. Again, another, again, that's the theme of this episode. Another strange bedfellows Venn diagram of people you wouldn't think. I mean, a lot of the coal miners, you know, this, they, this episode has a theme. Yeah. And it's not murderers and horrible people. <laughs> Crushing. Yeah. Only um, do, only animal torture. That's well, yeah, that was that was a biggie, episode. actually. Yeah. I'm glad you went light on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's called Pride. I, I can't recommend it enough. You, um, your oh. brother should watch it and you should watch it. Everyone should watch it. I've recommended it to everyone. I can't believe I never even heard of it. Daniel found it and like had it on our list of like to watch. Is anybody we, famous in it? Um may, like familiar British actors if you watch anything British, but mm-hmm. you know, um oh um Bill Nye's in it. He's he's famous. It's great. It's excellent. And it's a true story. It's great. Okay. Um, so that's Pride. And I think it's from 2014. And then I, we watched um, one of our Christmas movies was ha- Happiest Season. The Happiest Season. Did you hear about that? So that's um, the pretty young lady who was in Twilight, Kristen Stewart. Oh, is this where she's a lesbian? Yes. And she's bringing her or she's being brought home by her girlfriend. But not as the girlfriend. Yes. Like it's she's being the asked to be the, like a friend but not yeah as, like you have to yeah because she okay her, I, I'm, her, I'm, I didn't see it but I'm familiar her girlfriend isn't out it's it's very good it's it's funny and it's really good uh did you watch Penny it? Serenade oh my god yeah and I hate you Daniel's like I rewatched it okay after I told you first to watch of all it. it is not a Christmas movie like, doesn't she play an, doesn't she play an angel in yeah, it yeah for like 30 Christmas seconds pageant? she's an angel in a Christmas pageant and that's actually the cutest fucking scene ever I know and she tr- oh I know you see that star just go like that yeah she's adorable with her little sneakers on oh she is so cute she's the cutest child but that is Daniel called it wait he called it something funny he called <laughs> it um tra- tragedy porn or tra- is there a term for that like he's like tell Laura this fix for the tragedy porn <laughs> Something well, like that. I, I forgot that I made Jake watch it like when we were dating. So then when I put this on and he comes in, he's like, oh my God. He's like, not that again. Like, you made me watch this. He's like, this movie is horrible. He's it like, this is so like the sad. saddest movie that was ever made. I'm like, I know. I don't know why I'm doing it to myself. You're like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Enjoy this Christmas movie. <laughs> I think I was wrapping presents when I watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very sad. And it's good, but it's very, very sad. But they're so cute with the baby when they first bring her home and he thinks the baby's and, missing in the bed. Which yeah, yeah. Oh, and they try to get up the so stairs without making any noise. Like, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> Tragedy porn. <laughs> the, um, the only other movie... Oh, we saw another movie. I don't... Is this new? Yeah, it's new. No Sudden Move. Do you hear about that? That's um, Don Cheadle. It's a... I don't know what you call this genre. Like, it's like a cape it's like a heist movie yeah kind of like a heist movie but some things go wrong these guys are hired to do something and and things go awry so it's kind of like about them like getting themselves out of this this you know problem 
And it takes place in 1950s Detroit. So I always love a good period uh, movie. And it's John Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, and then the guy that ate Brendan Fraser. Like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Have you... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to body shame, but oh my God. It, it's that is accurate I, though. I have you seen it? Like he's un, basically unrecognizable. I don't know what I'm that concerned is. for his health. He's <laughs> like unrecognizably overweight, dramatically. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. He looks like he's about to pop. Yeah, Daniel was like, "Well, his skin looks good. Like he's not like wrinkled." And I was like, "That's because fat don't crack." <laughs> he's swollen. <laughs> But yeah, he's in it. That was shocking. I made Daniel pause. I was like, that's not Brendan Fraser. Cause you just see his like fat head in the beginning, like in the first scene. And mm. then, um, yeah. Anyway, where do you call, where do you find these movies to watch? Daniel is like amazing at finding movies like that. Like a lot of people haven't seen and series too, but especially movies. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's all Daniel. But yeah, I think you might like the, this, um, no sudden move. I think it's, it's kind of cool. And it's, do you like that kind of stuff? Like, um, the heist kind of genre? Oh, yeah, sure. Did you ever see, um, Logan Lucky? Oh, Daniel Craig's in that, right? You're right. He is in it. Daniel Craig is in yeah. it. And the lead is Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. He does not do it for me at all. No, but he's very good in this and it, and it is a great, I wanted to see I that. I love a good, like, hi, like, you know, lots of parts are moving and it's a, it's a really good, like, heist movie, but it's fun. It's just, like, very funny. I wanted to see that when it came out. Yeah, it's and good. I, I think you'd like it. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking it was funny. No Sudden Move is not, like, a, it's not, like, comedic. It's just very good. It's just a very good No episode. Sudden, I'm writing all these down. No yeah. Sudden Move. But, okay. yeah, that's all I got for the, for my, my rec room. No, that's, there are a lot of, uh. Oh, and I started the JFK book, by the way. Oh, you did? The yes. Stephen King one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I have to take it, you know, I'm a slow reader anyway, but I kind of also have to take take it slow because of um, I'm an idiot, especially with regard to time travel and like that sci-fi subgenre of like parallel universes and time travel. I find it very confusing. Hmm. Like I need to like digest it. Okay. So like we're still in like the rules. So you'll finish this by 2025? Yeah, really. Give me like five years. <laughs> the... the um, the, the guy is giving him like the rules or whatever, you know, kind oh, of tell yeah, you about yeah. it. And I, it's like, I know that this is, it's, we don't know anything about time travel. And so this is just Stephen King's come up with a cl clever, like list of rules because this is what mm -hmm. the book he's writing. But like, I, for me, it's like, I'm like, wait, what, how, how did that, you know, like just, uh, it's really interesting though. It's very interesting. Oh, I hope you like it. I yeah, I'm that. sure I will. But anyway, it was good to see you after good our, you I too. think we had like a six week hiatus. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, a lot of shit came up. Yeah. It, uh -huh. The holidays are extremely, I don't even have kids and the holidays are crazy for me. So I can't even imagine what it was like for you. No, I mean, I feel like the kids aren't even the stressful part. They're the fun part. It's all the other bullshit yeah. in life that is annoying. The kids, I think the kids are the, like, they're, they're, they make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's try to do it in two weeks. Okay. That sounds good. Good to see you. Stay healthy. YouTube.